So if you found out that you were dying, what would you say to the people around you? If you found out that your death was imminent, like just days away, what would you say to the people who were closest to you? If I found out that I was dying, and I'm not, just so you know, I'm not. I mean, I am, but we all are, in the way that we all are, but, but I'm not dying. Um, if I found out that I was dying, and I only have a few days to live, I would want to gather around me the people who are closest to me, the people who I love the most, and I'd want to tell them some very important things. I'd want them to know some, some important things. I'd want to tell my wife that I love her. And I, I'd want her to, I, I would want to apologize for making her life miserable for 20 years. No, I'd want to tell her all the passwords to the bank account so she could keep our house going. I'd want to tell her that she means the world to me and that I couldn't have done it without her. I'd want to tell my parents, you guys, <laughs> my, the look on my mom's face just now was great. So I want to tell them that I'm so glad that they were my parents and that uh, I'm so thankful for the way they raised me to know Jesus as my Savior. All of this is possible because two people fell in love and dedicated themselves to, to making sure their children knew the Lord. So thank you. Not dying, but thank you. I want to tell my son that he is my life and that I, I love him so very much. I'd want him to know that God loves him and I want him to grow up to love Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'd want to tell my brothers and my sister that I'm very proud of them for the way that they're raising their families. I'd want my brother and sister to know that I'm extremely proud of them and I'm so glad that we were in the same family together. I'd want to tell my friends that they make my life easier, for the most part. I'd want them to know that I love them, and I'm so glad that we're doing ministry together and that we are doing life together. I'd want to tell you guys that it is an honor, and it is a pleasure to be your pastor. And I'd want you guys to know that I love every single one of you. And I consider it one of the great joys in my life to be your pastor. What about you? Who would you want standing around you in your last moments? And what is it that you'd want to tell them? What would you want to say to the people who are closest to you? Would you tell them that you love them over and over again? Would you tell them how special they were to you? Would you tell them that you couldn't do life without them and that they made your life better? Would you forgive those people who you need to forgive? Would you tell them? You see, we're all going to get there. And someday, we're all going to be at that point. And we're going to definitely want to make sure that we share with the people that we love 
the most important things. See, it happened to Jesus. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus gathered together his closest friends. And he shared with them what I think is the most important thing. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus and his disciples were getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast. Now, the Passover feast uh, was a yearly festival, yearly feast that the Jews would celebrate. And they still do to this very day. And it celebrates and commemorates the deliverance of God's people, the Jews, from bondage and slavery in Egypt some thousands of years ago. And so when the Jews were liberated from bondage in Egypt, they uh, set aside this yearly feast to remember that day called the Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples, who were, they were Jews, and they would celebrate the Passover every year, and they were near Jerusalem, they were just outside Jerusalem, getting ready to celebrate this Passover feast. And Jesus and his disciples went up to an upper room. And it was in this room that Jesus shared with them the most important thing. Now, in those days, it was customary for uh, someone to wash the feet of the, peop of the guests of a home. Uh, it was the lowest servant's job. The lowest servant of the house, it was their job to wash the feet of guests. And sure enough, on this night, nobody washed the feet. And so Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of humanity, the one through whom all things were created, the Bible says, the one whose hands fashioned stars, took the lowest servant position in the house, he wrapped a towel around himself and he washed the feet of his disciples. Now this may not seem like a huge thing, but we have shoes and socks and paved roads and sidewalks. In those days, they did not have those things. They didn't have paved roads or sidewalks or uh, shoes. They, they wore sandals if they had sandals at all or they went barefoot. And their feet were filthy, disgusting, like, you know, feet in the summertime. And Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It was to show them his love. And that his love was a sacrificial kind of love. So uh, I'm sorry, it was his love was a, a humble kind of love. He then institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. And in those elements, in the bread, which was a common feature of the Passover feast, and in the, the wine, which was also a common feature of the Passover feast in the in the bread and in the wine he shows his disciples his sacrificial love he showed them his humble love his sacrificial love when he talked about how he was going to be crucified and he would have his body torn and his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins so that if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins by believing in him turning away from sin and repentance, confessing your faith and getting baptized, God will wash away all your sins, past, present, and future, and give you the hope of eternal life with him. And Jesus showed his disciples his love, that it was humble, that it was sacrificial, and that it was unconditional. Because he died for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for people who don't even believe in him. So that their salvation is possible if they will turn to him for forgiveness. 
He died for people who don't believe in him. He died for people who hated him. Even on the cross as he hung there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. His love was humble. It was sacrificial. It was unconditional. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. It was then that one of his followers named Judas gets up and he goes to betray the Lord in the final act that would set the crucifixion into motion. And so Judas gets up and he goes and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. From there, Jesus tells his disciples that God is about to glorify him, that the Father is about to glorify the Son. And he tells them, I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. Which must have sounded very strange to the disciples. Because everywhere that Jesus went for three, three and a half years, the disciples went with him. Everywhere he went, they were there. And now he tells them that he's going to go somewhere where they can't go. And then Jesus tells them what he needs them to do. And he shares with them a commandment. And to me, this is the most important thing. See, Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, shares with his disciples one last commandment. He boils down three, maybe three and a half years of ministry into a single commandment. And we read about it in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you brought a Bible, please turn there to John 13. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 763 of that Bible. Or you can follow along on the screen or on your smartphone or tablet, however you like to follow along. And we're going to look at two verses, two primary verses. And the first one is John 13, 34. And in it, Jesus said this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, to the disciples, this must have sounded a little bit strange because this wasn't a new command. To love people wasn't a new command. The Old Testament talked about how we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it said, in the book of Leviticus, it says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love your neighbor as yourself. So this command to love people wasn't necessarily a new command. But yet it was. For Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, how did Jesus love his disciples? Well, I told you, he washed their feet. That humble love. He gave them the reminder of his crucifixion, his sacrificial love. And he died for us all. His, his love is unconditional. And so this love that Jesus has for us and that we are to have for one another is an unconditional kind of love. It's called agape love. Uh, agape is a Greek word. The, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And agape is a Greek word that means unconditional love. There are three, kind, three words, three primary words for love in the New Testament. Three primary words for love in ancient Greek. Uh, the first is eros, E-R-O-S. Uh, it describes the kind of romantic love between a, uh, a, hus a husband and a wife. And then there's philia, P-H-I-L-I-A. 
Uh, we get uh, our city of Philadelphia from this word. Philia. It means a brotherly love or a familial kind of love. A, a love that you have for your siblings and for your family. And then finally there is agape love. And that's what we're talking about here. This unconditional love. It is an unlimited, unselfish, unconditional love. That God has for us that Jesus has for us and that we are to have for one another. This is the kind of love that we are to have for each other in the church. This agape love. This unconditional, unlimited, unselfish kind of love. The New Testament talks about this in numerous occasions. There's many verses that talk about how we are to love each other in the church. In John 15, 12, just two chapters later, Jesus says this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. It's amazing to me that Jesus could have had, you know, given all kinds of possible, possible commands as he's getting ready to leave the earth. And yet he tells them, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In Romans 13, 8, Paul told the church at Rome, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God how to love each other. He's talking about the church. This is where we're supposed to do this. 1 Peter 4, 8, the apostle Peter said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 John 3, 11, we're back to the apostle John. who said, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then 1 John 3, 23 and this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Those are just some of the examples throughout the New Testament where we are told to love one another in the church with that unlimited, unselfish, unconditional kind of love. The love that Jesus has for us is to be reflected in our lives to one another. So that's John 13, 34. And then in the next verse, Jesus says this. This is so important. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, he says. By what? It's our love for one another that proves that we are followers of Jesus. It's our love for each other that proves that we belong to Jesus. Notice, Jesus does not say, the world will know that you are my followers if you wear Christian t-shirts. He never says that. He doesn't say, the world will know that you are my disciples by the Jesus fish you put on the back of your car as you drive 90 miles per hour down, recklessly down 80, 94. I'm looking at some of you. He does not say that the world will know that you are my disciples by your Facebook rants. Oh, that touched a nerve in some of you, myself included. He does not say the world will know that you are my disciples by your political affiliations. He does not say the world will know that you are my disciples by the version of the Bible that you carry or read. 
He does not say the world will know that you are my disciples by the number of times you go to church on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday or connection group midweek or whatever. He says, the world, all men, women and children, the world will know that you are my followers, that you are my disciples, if you do one thing, and that is to love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, it's not about how much you know. It's about how much you love. Let me say that one more time. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you love. That the world will know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's how we love one another in the church. Because we live in a world that is increasingly divided. We live in a world where people don't like each other. We live in a world where people hate each other. And, and in the church, we need to be different. We need to be so different than the world. We need to stick out like a sore thumb when it comes to love. We need to set the, the bar. We need to set the example of what love can look like in the church. And what love can do. Here in the church, we need to be loving each other so well and so much that the world stands up and takes notice and says, what is wrong with those people? You see, there are so many things that can divide us. There are so many things that could divide us in the church. We could look around the room and say, man, that person's a different color than I am and I, I hate them. Or that person belongs to a different political party than I am. I'm a Republican, they're a Democrat, I hate them. Or they're, a Dem or they're a Republican and I'm a Democrat and I hate them. That person's older than me and I hate them because of the way that, that they complain about this or complain about that. Or that person's younger than me and I hate them because they're lazy and they don't do anything. That person uh, has a, is a different gender from me and, and, and they have a, a different agenda as far as based on their agenda, uh, based on their gender. And I hate them. Or they're all the same and I hate them. That person has a different theological position than I do and I hate them. That guy on the stage, he's always prattling on every week, 30 minutes every week. I hate that guy. See, there are so many things that could divide us. And Jesus tells us to do one thing. Love one another. You're going to get enough hatred out in the world. You're going to get enough hatred on Facebook or on the news. You're going to see hatred everywhere. And there are so many things that could divide us. What does Jesus tell us to do? To love one another with that unlimited, unconditional, unselfish kind of love. So who do you need to love? Anyone who's a Christian, according to Jesus, you need to love that person with agape love. So when you think about it, if your spouse is a Christian, if your spouse is a believer in Jesus, you need to love them with that unconditional, unlimited, unselfish kind of love. You need to love them the way Jesus would. If your brother or sister is a brother or sister in Christ, you need to love them 
with that unlimited, unconditional, unselfish kind of love. If you're a child, if your children are Christians, you need to love them with agape love. If your grandchildren are Christians, you need to love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. If your parents are Christians, if your grandparents are Christians, you need to love them the way Jesus tells us to. The people in this room, most of us are Christians. Most of us are followers of Jesus already. And we need to love each other the way Jesus commanded us to. This is the last thing he told his disciples to do. This is the last thing he said. This is the last command he gave. He boiled it all down to this. That guys, he says to the disciples, guys, if you don't get anything, get this. Love one another. This is how the whole world is going to know that you are my disciples. Is if you love one another. So love each other. Let's do that. Because like I said, out in the world, you are not going to find that kind of love. You are not going to find an unconditional, unlimited, unselfish kind of love out in the world. As Christians, as the church, we need to stand together and stand united in the love of Jesus Christ and in the love that we have for one another to set an example for the rest of the world that this is possible. Because again, there are so many things that could be dividing us. We could be divided along our, our racial lines, our political lines, our theological lines, our economic lines. Well, I live over here and you live over there, therefore I'm better than you. No, you're not. Or I believe this and you don't believe that and therefore you're wrong. And, and because you're wrong, I, I don't want to hang out with you. Or it could be a, a, a matter of, you know, you're a man and, and I'm a woman. Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. I'm a man and you're a woman, and therefore I'm better than you? Or you're a woman, I'm a man, and she's better than me? No, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, every single one of us is on equal ground. We have different strengths, we have different talents, we have different abilities, but we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We have got to love one another because the world will know that we truly belong to Jesus when we do that in a world that is increasingly divided we need to be a church that is united in love amen our world is divided friends it is so divided it seems like we can't get along about anything anymore and it, we're divided in our homes we're divided in our schools. Uh, we're divided in our churches. We need to come together and be united in love. The love that Jesus has for us and that he wants us to have for one another. So that you can look at somebody else and say, you know what? We're not going to see eye to eye on this. We're going to have to agree to disagree, but we're going to disagree in love. And we're going to love each other no matter what. Because love is more important than a political party. Love is more important than a, a, a theological position. Love is more important than a, a football team. Love is more important than the things that could divide us because it is the one thing 
that can unite us. Love is more important than the things that can divide us because it is the one thing that can unite us. And if we will be united in the love of Jesus Christ, we can change this world. As I am convinced, the older I get, the more I become convinced that there's only one thing that changes lives, and that is love. The love of Jesus Christ changed my life, and it's changing your lives. And if we will take that love that Jesus has for us, and we will take it out into this world, and that we will demonstrate that we can work together, and we can worship together, and we can love together, and that we can stand up as one, united in the love of Jesus Christ, if we can do that, we can change this world. One family, one street, one neighborhood, one community, one town, one region at a time. And it all starts when we do the most important thing. And that is to love one another.